Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained superior performance. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Multi-Site Masters. Now, I have to say there's a a bit of a personal flavour for me to this episode because I'm going to share something with you. We've we've been talking now for some time, so I feel we can share, that I was on a plane back from Dubai around March and I had, not that I knew it at the time, a panic attack. And uh, I thought I was having a heart attack, I'll be honest. Um, It was quite a scary thing. And I was okay and after about 10 minutes began to feel a little bit more normal, but it was a very scary experience. Never had anything like it. Came back, sought some help, and it was very clear very quickly that actually it was an anxiety, it was a panic attack. And it helped me to really appreciate what other people who I'd known had had similar things had actually physically experienced. The fast beating of the heart, the clammy hands, the, the throat going cold, and just a sense of what is happening to me. It was really, really scary. So I have explored this topic of anxiety attacks, and it led me to several places, one of which is the fantastic fantastic guest speaker that we've got today, Mel Crate. Now, Mel is the founding director of Luminate, a well-being consultancy. And our focus today in this conversation isn't just on the multi-unit manager, but very much, I suppose, that person who is out and about remote management, stores, restaurants, pubs, whatever, in lots of different locations. It can be very difficult, both to, uh, from a dietary point of view, prepare and plan your meals when you're all over the place. Often you're eating on the go, uh, you may be staying in lovely hotels with you know, fantastic gym facilities, but you may not. You may be staying in much more budget locations that don't have that kind of functionality. So my brief to Mel when we spoke about this a few weeks ago was, how can we maybe give some advice and top tips to people out in a multi-site world? Uh, but I accept you may be working in office, you may be working in finance, HR, marketing, in a multi-site organization. And yes, this podcast is also for you too. So we'll come back to the context a little bit more in a second, but firstly, let me say hello to Mel. Hi Lee, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. It is our pleasure to have you today. Um, maybe Mel, obviously Luminate is a wellbeing consultancy. Mm-hmm. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've got to now being the founding partner of sure. wellbeing of Luminate. Sure, so um, my background was originally in broadcasting. I worked um, <clears throat> as a talent agent for over 10 years. It was quite a high pressure job in a high pressure industry, working very long hours, um, working with um, talent, sometimes demanding personalities in quite demanding circumstances, sometimes very long days on set. Um, So uh, I myself suffered from depression in my 20s, which was certainly exaggerated by um, some of the work circumstances, the work environments that I was working in. Um, So I've retrained to uh, firstly teach mindfulness and then as a mental health expert, a mental health first aider, um, and have studied that area ever since. So I set up the consultancy um, in 2014 
and uh, we are now a wellbeing consultancy so we work with uh, businesses and corporations in trying to improve uh, wellbeing and mental health within the workplace so offering um, the individual tools to look after their mental health but also trying to shape company cultures and environments so that they are conducive to positive mental health within the workplace because obviously we spend so much time at work that it's hugely influential to our mental health and our general well-being. Great, Mel, thank you. Now, we've kind of set up a bit of a structure for today and we're going to be talking about some of the challenges, dare I say, of modern life, but mm. of technology and how that is, in theory, enabling us to be more productive, but yeah. maybe in practice not doing that. We'll also talk about, and I alluded to in the introduction, this, this challenge of, from a dietary point of view, taking care of what I'm drinking and eating mm-hmm. when I don't necessarily have the luxury of planning my meals or preparing them every day before I go to work because I could be away for quite some time. And also just, I suppose, the, the bigger mental health concerns that we have with the anxiety that attack that I had, which was, mm. I think, very much driven by work was busy, without a doubt, but also yeah. I had a hell of a lot going on in my private life where I was having a loft conversion done at the home. It had been a nightmare. It should have been three months. It was nine months. So huge amount going on. Of course, there isn't one Lee at work and one Lee at home. It's yeah, one absolutely. life, isn't it? So if we start with the technology side or modern life, um, there's been some fascinating research done that is showing that even though we are, in theory, have devices to make Mm. us more productive, actually we're being less productive. Um, Even back in the 70s and 80s, there was research done in the US, I think they call it the productivity paradox, that companies that invested the most in technology were actually seeing some of the biggest decreases Mm. in productivity. Uh, I kind of put that down maybe naively to some of the distractions that technology can give us with social media obviously being one, but just email and other things too. Is that right? And what else is going on, do you think, that's damaging our productivity? Yeah, definitely, I'd agree with that. Um, I think, you know, from our own findings, that's that's definitely a big contributing factor. Um, I think our brains have a capacity, right? So when we are so distracted by so many different devices, um, programs, email systems, that our brains can only take in so much at one time. So, you know, you've probably heard it's been um, proven many times that multitasking is extremely ineffective, but it's something that we're doing constantly without even realizing it so you know for example if you're working on a report at work but your email keeps popping up in the corner you know your attention will be distracted constantly um, and or, or usually we sit with our smartphones on our desks as well so they might be beeping at us for something else so our, our attention is constantly being pulled in different directions and that absolutely has um, an effect on our productivity one study showed that it takes up to 22 minutes for us to return to the same level of focus when we get distracted from a task. So you can imagine that being distracted constantly by your emails, by your WhatsApp, text messages, your instant messenger, whatever it might be, that we're losing a huge amount of productivity through that. Particularly if if, deep work, you've really got to concentrate Mm. on something. If someone is knocking you on your shoulder, that's bad enough perhaps, but if if it's email and you're allowing yourself to, oh, it's popped up, I must check it. Uh, that that can be really damaging to the quality of the work you're doing plus your own sanity. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've come to a place where we've developed a culture where we feel like we need to respond to emails instantly, Mm. sorry. Um, So, you know, as soon as an email comes in, most emails, I think it's something, I can't remember the exact statistic, between 80 and 90% of emails are read within seven seconds of being received, which means that most of us are constantly um, attached to our email inbox, which means it makes it very hard to get work uh, that requires a real level of focus Mm. done. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's absolutely really distracting for us. And I think it's certainly taking its toll on our productivity. Yeah. And just if anyone out there has got in their job description, uh, how many emails you answer within seven seconds is a KPI for you <laughs> or how many emails you send. I'd love to yeah. hear from you, but I mean, with the exception of maybe a customer services department, that's not how most of us work. Yeah, And yet absolutely. it's almost as if that's how we work. We're not measured that way, but that's how yeah, life Yeah, we often ask people that, you know, is answering emails in your job description? Obviously, it's required to get work mm-hmm. done and communicate, mm-hmm. but, you know, the real, the, um, the heart of the work of what we do is often not involved in kind of answering other people's requests through emails, but it's so easy to get caught up in that. And often it's quite low rent work as well. And what happens sometimes... So uh, when we talk about productivity and time management, we also look at people's um, circadian rhythms and when they're most productive throughout the day. And we ask people to measure that. So most people, their most productive hours are in the morning. But what often happens is most people come in, sit at their desks and start answering emails, which is quite low rent. It doesn't um, need a huge amount of brain power or concentration. But really, we should be using those kind of golden hours in the morning where we're at our sharpest to be doing quite in-depth work and then answer emails during a time perhaps where we have an energy lapse which often tends to be during the afternoon for most people and um, so it really it's just relearning how we work the problem is technology is advancing at such a rapid rate and also the scientific studies can't quite keep up with it so mm-hmm. what we know about productivity you know we're learning um, all the time you know things like the apple watch for example that's a very new device <laughs> i'm sitting here with one on my wrist <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing wrong with them but it's also just trying to assess how those things affect yeah. us and our productivity in everyday life i mean one of my it's so funny you mentioned that the i had remembered to turn my notifications off my email mm. uh, on my uh, computer mm-hmm. and then i managed my phone but of course not my watch yeah. <laughs> so it's we are being bombarded it was the, the mail used to come twice a day mm-hmm. now it's coming every few seconds um, my top tip is that absolutely turn notifications off any other top tips you would have for people to kind of take control of their email yeah game? absolutely i mean I'd, I'd say planning your days is really important you know i never leave the office before having a plan for the next day and it's always those couple of um, hours in the morning where I know I'm going to be at my most productive I plan work that requires that deep level of focus and concentration so I I don't open my email until um, perhaps 12 o'clock so I have set times where I'll check my emails so that might be at lunchtime at 3pm and then at the end of the day and set times where I'll answer email unless it's something really urgent Um, but for the most part you know if something's truly urgent someone will call you or phone you so yeah exactly I think we can we can generally um, go by that rule of thumb so yeah generally just try and have set times where you're going to check your email and try to then completely close your browser down in between those times so you're not distracted by your emails constantly coming in and also set the expectation with other people that you work with be that kind of your manager so, yeah. your colleagues your clients and let them know that you know it's not productive for me to be constantly on email so if there is something urgent that comes up um, please call me because I won't constantly be checking emails and therefore you know that you've kind of set the expectation with them so there isn't that pressure to constantly be checking in case something urgent comes in I couldn't agree more the challenge uh, that everyone faces when they do this is yeah but other people you've Mm. got to communicate what you're doing you don't try and do it in isolation yeah and set your own boundaries yeah and with your own team so if you're an area manager perhaps and you've got 10-12 people working for you explain what you're doing and say to them 
actually want to be there for you. So when I'm on a visit, I want to be able to put my laptop or my phone kind of away so I can give you, you know, focused attention Absolutely. and not be checking my phone or be distracted by email or whatever. That's surely good for you. And I'm, I've never met a manager go, yeah, no, I don't want that. I want you to be distracted. I want you to keep answering. So I think that's really important. But also in the head office, they get a sense of, okay, I know I'm not going to get a response in 10 minutes, but I know you will be checking email three times a day at this hour, this hour, and this hour. So yeah. I think that communication bit's really, really important. Yeah, agreed. The, this overload of information that's, 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 that's in some respects drowning us uh, in terms of like, what's that doing to us? So again, we, we're still learning about this because technology is so new and to carry out the kind of large scale studies that mm. we need to really know, um, you know, it often takes decades. But what we do know is that our brains are definitely being overstimulated and that has an effect. So because we have such an overload of information coming to us at all times of the day, it certainly affects the side of our brain that is responsible for creativity, for emotional regulation, for certain skills that are really important to be able to communicate, but also to do our work effectively. So when one side of the brain is overstimulated with all this information, the other side of our brain then struggles to, we, we can't use it as effectively. Um, so, you know, studies have so far shown that by kind of this information overload of constantly being bombarded with information um, does reduce our creativity. So it means as well that we're not um, as innovative, we're not as creative as we'd like to be mm. uh, because we find it so hard to switch off. And I think that creativity comes from sometimes having that space, that clarity that we don't often have because we're so overconnected. Is that, uh, it's fascinating, is this linked to, I almost sense that we, we our boredom threshold is almost non-existent. Mm. So we can't wait yeah. for anything anymore. We've got to see the next episode on Netflix and we can't, you know, Amazon delivers, mm-hmm. you know, the next day. And I, I've got two seconds of boredom, so I'll check Facebook or whatever. Is that because of that stimulation? Is, is, is it like a drug saying, I need more stimulation? And it's also yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's that idea of... Um, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, which we're probably all familiar with now. And I think when there's so many options to be engaged or to be stimulated by something, the appeal of doing nothing is obviously very low. You know, I teach uh, mindful meditation and Mm -hmm. obviously we're trying to convince people that you know, it's a good idea to take some time out to take, you know, 10, 15 minutes for a meditation where for some people it feels like you're sitting there doing nothing. And when there are so many options of what we could be doing, whether that's, you know, options of engaging online, there's so many different activities we could be doing, social activities, it makes it very hard for people to reject all of those to take some time out for themselves. Mm. And I think, you know, the smartphone has just changed how we spend our our downtime uh, so dramatically in that there is so much we could be doing on it now. And the apps that we use are designed to be addictive. They're designed, you know, they have teams of psychologists working on them uh, that design the apps in a way that make us want to go back for more. So, you know, some people can't even visit the bathroom without taking their phones with them. And- <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> it's a very real problem. And it's something that, you know, we cannot just sit and wait for something. We can't wait for a train, for example. We can't wait in a supermarket queue without checking our smartphones and it's I think it's you know again we don't really know the the effects of this from a scientific point of view from um, kind of solid studies but I think we can see it's definitely having an effect on on us 
um, not necessarily always in a positive way. You're terrifying me now. <laughs> Everything you just said, I'm done. Oh my God. We all do it, you know. It's, it's just about bringing a bit more awareness and consciousness yeah. to it and trying to introduce better digital habits. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that we have to relearn as well because this technology is amazing and we all want to use it and it can certainly help us live easier lives and better lives in many ways. But I think we definitely need to be more conscious of how and when we use it. There was uh, two things that popped into my head when you were talking there, Mel. Um, a recent article talking about the challenge of everyone on their tra- on the train journey doing their email or working. Mm. And it's almost like, I can just get ahead of myself if I do yeah. my email. When in fact, you don't do any less work. Mm. Um, there was a uh, piece of research done, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was Boston University School of Business. And this researcher looked at companies where employees were working uh, 80 hours plus, mm. and those employees who pretended to work at that length of time, they couldn't tell the difference in terms of the work output between the two. So it was no difference I'm from sure. the, pro- the productivity, and yet some people were you know, kind of killing themselves, just doing longer days, if I just work that few extra mm. hours. One of the things, when I first met Mel, I think probably a year or so ago now, mm. you said to me um, a point about sleep and how important it yeah. is. And, you know, elite athletes talk about the exercise regime is one thing, but the rest and the sleep is so important. Stop using your phone as an alarm clock. Yeah. Uh, particularly, and I, I've done it again, picking out in the middle of the night what time is it, and you get the white light, and then if you haven't turned them off, oh, there's a, a text message from Asia or whatever it may be, I might just check it. So what's going on there? What's the kind of white light, the white noise, if it is, that's going on that's <coughs> fooling us into thinking it's daylight? Yeah, definitely. Well, we know now through various studies that that blue light that reflects off screens is really bad for our sleep. It tends to affect us falling asleep, also the quality of sleep we get. So it's always recommended that you turn your screens off at least an hour before you're going to bed to also give yourself time to unwind but so that you're not exposed to that blue light that's going to have an effect on our quality of sleep um, where possible I always say try and keep phones and screens out of the bedroom you know, your bed should be a place associated with sleep because then your brain knows that when you're going to bed it's time to unwind and uh, feel sleepy but when we have our screens attached to us that's very hard to do and it sends um, confusing messages to the brain it also projects a light that's very unnatural um, for us to receive at that time of night so it definitely affects the way we sleep and sleep is incredibly important Um, A really interesting study, actually, that happened recently. Well, for a long time, um, mental health experts thought that insomnia or sleep problems were a side effect of mental illness. But they've actually proven now that um, insomnia can be a main cause of mental illness. So not getting enough sleep is um, so hugely influential in our mental state, but also our physical state, as we know. So um, that having better habits before we go to bed is, is hugely important. Um, and obviously I know for some of the uh, managers or, or staff members who travel a lot and might mm. not be sleeping at home all the time, trying to encourage better habits before bed is even more important, I think. So making sure you are turning off your screens in time, that you have a good wind down routine uh, before you go to bed is really important. Yeah, so falling asleep in the travelling with my laptop open and waking up in the middle of the night is probably the worst thing I could have done. <laughs> it's not ideal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm learning a lot. So, I mean, already top tips, you've got, you know, turning notifications off of the mm. emails. You've talked about having email discipline about when you do look yeah. at your email. But explain that to people and explaining mm. why. Turning your screens off at least an hour before you're going to get to sleep so yeah. that you can, your brain's getting into that mode where I'm actually going to have rest now. Um, and yeah, let's stop using our phones, everybody, as our alarm clocks. You know, yeah. They're not that expensive. Let's go and buy an alarm clock. Um, I'm going to be honest. I cheat one respect. I use my 
watch as an alarm clock because it can't really do very much when the phone's not around. So the phone mm-hmm. is away from the bed. I can't even reach. I have to get out yeah. of my bed and walk somewhere to get my phone now. I didn't used to do that, but I've been doing that for a few months. Sure. One of the things that smartwatches does is it, many of them do, I'm sure, is track your sleep patterns. Mm-hmm. And I always looked at it, well, that's very fascinating, but what can I do about it? Yeah. Having done what you suggested, I have noticed I seem to have more restful sleep and I, I am assuming it's that. I don't know. It could be coincidence, but I, I, I certainly think it's helping me. You touched there on that, the challenge of people who are away from home. Mm. Um, let's talk about diet and, and exercise. Sure. So I'm maybe two or three days a week. I could be on the road as a multi-unit manager. Sometimes I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm on the train. But I'm going to get best. Probably most of them are driving. Um, yeah. So that's going to be a challenge for sure. me. What can I do? What dietary trips, what exercise tips could you give me that might give me that, that extra edge? Yeah, boost? absolutely. Well, look, I think it's, it's always a challenge when you're away from home. Obviously, you can't be prepping your own food. There are less options for you. Mm. Um, but I would say that that we are moving towards there being more healthier options available. So even, you know, most service stations now will have, you know, Marks and Spencers or even a Waitrose uh, where you can um, buy at least a salad or some fresh vegetables. The main thing I would encourage is try to get more fresh um, fruit and vegetables into your diet. So even if, say, you're treating yourself to a Burger King at the service station, grab like one of the little side salads from Marx's that has some vegetables in it. Um, that makes a huge difference. It really does. Most of us are nowhere near getting our five a day. And actually, um, even if other parts of our diets aren't perfect, just by introducing a bit more fresh uh, fruit and veg can make a massive difference to our overall health, our energy yeah. levels. Um, so I would just say try and pick up, you know, a salad, a side salad, some of the kind of pre-cooked veg you can get in um, M&S or Waitrose now, which are accessible at yeah, most service stations. And, and that will really just be one step closer to kind of having a better diet. Uh, well, I, I live this this exact story you just described the other mm-hmm. night and um, sounds like a plug for them, but Welcome Break, uh, they have a, a fantastic health brand. And a tossed salad, yeah. obviously not their brand, but they that's, work it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and they do a great job. And I, I walked in and there was the queue for KFC, there was a queue for Burger King, and there was a queue for Toss. You can probably guess which is the longer queue. Mm. And I started to gravitate towards Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I thought, actually, no, no, apart from the fact the queue was yeah. shorter, I went to Toss. And I had a great customer service experience, which is a, for another podcast perhaps, but it was fantastic food. And I felt like mm. I was eating healthily, and I was. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I really love about what they do is as you are customizing your salad or whatever, mm-hmm. your beans, whatever, whatever you're having, it's telling you what your calories are. So as you mm. add something, it adds it take away yeah. it adds it takes away obviously so you really can take control Track. yeah absolutely m- much better than you probably could 10 years ago yeah i think there are so many more options available to us now and i think you know it's also being realistic sometimes we're going to slip up we're not always going to be able to make the healthiest choices or we're not you know sometimes we have low energy or we're very sleepy as well we tend to make poor choices but trying to make one perhaps meal swap a day that will encourage a bit more fruit and veg um, into your diet. You know, I'm not a massive fan of kind of over-tracking or even calorie counting, but just trying to introduce kind of fresh, natural produce, you know, food that hasn't gone through a huge amount of processes that looks like it does when it comes out of the ground or wherever it comes from, I think is really important. And if you can introduce a bit more of that into your diet, um, then I think you're onto the right track. So you do occasionally have a Burger King then? <laughs> <laughs> I do occasionally. Don't tell anyone. No, no, very no, no. occasionally. So I, I no do. one's listening. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. Um, so there is the options from a diet point of view. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to make small swaps where possible, I think, and, and trying to get more fruit and veg in your diet, I think is, is 
definitely a good thing. Now, can you help me out? Because I'm sure one week I read a study and it says too much coffee will kill you. Next week, <laughs> actually, coffee's good for you. A wine will kill you and a glass yeah. of wine is great. What do you think, actually, cutting through the noise, what would you recommend in terms of um, coffee? Because I imagine caffeine's quite a regular staple diet of many of our listeners. Yeah, it is. Look, I drink coffee. I think, um, you know, it's it's one of life's pleasures, in my opinion, mm. as is a glass of red wine here and there. It's everything in moderation. You know, I wouldn't recommend you drink five or six cups of coffee a day. And if you're finding that you really can't start your morning without a cup of coffee, then that's, that's probably a sign that perhaps... You know, something needs to be adjusted within your sleep patterns or your diet. Um, but, I, you know, one or two cups of coffee a day, I don't think is going to kill you at all. I think it's a, approaching this from a sensible viewpoint. I think it's very confusing for people, like you said, you know, the headlines of the media. And now we've got, you know, social media, there are so-called kind of health and fitness experts telling us all kinds of things. Um, I think approaching it from a sensible viewpoint is good. Like I said, my philosophy is all about just trying to get as much kind of fresh, natural produce into um, mm. my diet as possible, but also indulging in the things that we like because you know, it's impossible to live in the world that we do today, constantly resisting the foods that we love. Mm. But I think as long as we're making healthy choices most of the time, then there's space for a little bit of that too. Um, I got. I want to say I got addicted. That sounds a bit extreme. To uh, you know the hot lemons and the hot bit when I had a bit, really bad flu cold about six months ago, and I realised I stopped the cold, but I'm still drinking the hot lemon. That's not good. Mm-hmm. So I moved to fruit teas, and oh, nice. I never thought if someone said to me two years ago, Lee, yeah. you'll be drinking fruit tea, I would have said never in a million years. But as a, a, re- a genuinely delicious mm-hmm. uh, choice, but also a healthy choice as well. Yeah, I can't say I did it for the health reasons. I just enjoyed it. Um, but again, the range of teas that are being available at most coffee shops and service stations are are great and you have got options other than just a cup of coffee yeah and it's getting your taste buds used to it as well you know for a long time we've been used to um food with quite a lot of sugar in it as well so sometimes Mm. when you taste alternatives that only have you know non-refined or natural sugars in there from fruit it doesn't it tastes too bland or doesn't taste sweet enough Mm. but over time you get used to that it's just kind of sticking with it a bit so your Mm. taste buds can adjust and that then becomes the new normal for you which is a good thing Okay, so that's diet began to be ticked. What about exercise? So if we've got a gym, fantastic in the hotel, but again, that's often not going to be possible. Mm, absolutely. I mean, there are some amazing, one thing that, you know, we've talked about technology, but there are some amazing kind of apps, video services uh, that you can use on your um, laptop, iPad, or even your phone mm. uh, that offer kind of very short, um, easy to follow workouts or yoga sessions, whatever you, uh, you feel like that you can follow yeah, on your laptop, that you can set up in your hotel room. Mm. I mean, personally, I carry a travel yoga mat everywhere I go. I know that's not going to be um, easy for everyone to do, uh, but a lot of these workouts, you don't need anything but mm. a small amount of space, um, you know, some sports <laughs> equipment, equipment, maybe a chair, yeah, absolutely. But they, they're a lot that are designed for people on the move or people who travel a lot that you can do in your hotel room. Um, I have a subscription to a... A program called Yoga Glow, which is an online, um, it's set up in the States, but it's obviously available internationally. Mm. And there are tens of thousands of practices on there. Even if you're just doing a 10 to 15 minute kind of stretch down at the end of the day, it's anything to get your body moving a bit more than we do. We live Mm. a very sedentary lives. And as you said, Lee, from people traveling a lot, sitting in cars on trains, we're not getting the movement we need. Um, but also, I don't think you need to go to extremes to say, you know, we need to be working out an hour every day. If that's not going to be realistic for your lifestyle, I think even if you can do 20 minutes to 30 minutes of movement in your hotel room at the end of the day or the beginning of the day uh, before you start, I think that's a really positive mm. thing. Um, and it's certainly better than nothing. 
Um, Yoga Glow, I've noted that down. Any other apps? I mean, I, I know, for example, that people like Tom Daly, uh, yeah. obviously the Olympic star, um, the guy, the body coach, Joe Wicks. Yeah, Joe Wicks, I was going to mention that. Series. So any other ones you'd recommend? Yeah, his are great, actually. I mean, those are the main two, Joe Wicks. Has, and the, there's so much on YouTube, and it really depends what you're into. Some people like the kind of high-intensity workouts, and again, that don't need any equipment to be done. And, and the Joe Wicks ones are great for that, and many of them are available on YouTube. They're very kind of short and effective, so you don't need to be working out for hours most of them kind of 15-20 minutes that can be done in any kind of space Uh, but there's just a huge amount available on YouTube now so I'd just say have a search around because I think it's important to find a type of exercise that appeals to you so you're going to do it Um, now I love yoga but that might not be for everyone so um, I would say you know have a search around given the space you're in and what's realistic to do yoga is a great one and HIIT workouts are a great one and I'd say those are the best two yoga glow and um, the Joe Wicks workouts and on a slightly different note one that certainly made a difference to me is walking and yeah, walking. I, mean, I got a dog four years ago, and you know, he's a love, rather large German Shepherd, so he needs an hour, hour and a half walk at least every day. And that is great. Plus, I kind of work out the brain as well because I listen to books, mm. audio books, or podcasts whilst I'm walking. So it always it could be a sport, it could be badminton, yeah. tennis, cycling, whatever the, the person wants to do. Yeah, uh, definitely. Walking more is great as well. Just trying to, you know, even if you're stopping at a service station, I know it sounds very dull, but taking a couple of laps of the car park, yeah. we really aren't moving enough and walking is great for us you know we were designed as humans to be walking many many miles a day so any movement you can introduce into your life I think is a really positive thing yeah and again it's that if you park at an office park at the furthest parking mm, spots away definitely. And all use those the little things and, make a difference yeah, definitely absolutely. so um mindfulness now this was mm. something that I uh when I had my panic attack I was describing earlier someone's told me about mindfulness mm. and uh, an app Calm which I would certainly recommend that yeah. I've been using can we I think mindfulness is a bit like one of those words we, we trot out sure. right? you know, coaching and what does that actually mean so maybe give us your informed description of yeah. what this is and what we might be able to do yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are many misconceptions around mindfulness, um, certainly that people aren't exactly sure what it is. Many people think of it as a relaxation technique, uh, mm. which it isn't. So relaxation is often a byproduct or a side effect of mm. practicing mindfulness, which is great, uh, but that isn't the intention going in. So mindfulness is really just being aware of the present moment um, and doing that non-judgmentally. And that non-judgmentally part is really important. Uh, because we spend uh, much of our lives kind of labelling things as either good or bad. Um, and especially with our own um, kind of our own performance, what we're, as we're going through life as well, we're kind of constantly kind of berating ourselves for things. It's trying to get ourselves out of that mindset. Also to just be aware of what's happening around us. So we spend a lot of time mentally either in the past kind of rehashing things that have happened or worrying about things in the future, things that may never even happen. And actually mindfulness just encourages us to live more in the present, to be aware of what we're doing as we're doing it. Because we, we spend a lot of time kind of physically carrying out the actions, but our minds are elsewhere, which means we're not present for a lot of our lives, which mm. I think is, is quite a shame. We tend to operate on this autopilot, um, which you know also isn't great for our productivity. We lack kind of focus and attention. So mindfulness is all about training that attention, which can then spill over to so many different areas of your life. 
I think one of the mistakes I well I know I made was mm. uh, I did my mother's exercises at night laying on the bed and funnily enough I, they helped me get to sleep there's no, yeah. no question there I don't think I ever actually got through an entire 15 minute mm. exercise or 10 minute exercise so uh, should we do them in the evening as well but should we do them during the day it sounds like it should be a daytime thing as well yeah it's a very personal thing actually I always encourage people to do a trial and error approach I mean mm-hmm. falling asleep through a mindfulness practice especially at the beginning is very normal it happens oh, cool. it happened to me when I first started I could not get through practice you know whatever time of day without falling asleep it's it's like a training of the brain you've got to think of it like going to the gym for your body it's a similar thing for the brain so you know after a while you know we get uh, we hone that skill and the falling asleep it doesn't happen so much and now it happens for me very rarely unless I'm very tired Uh, so I wouldn't worry too much about falling asleep that will happen um, but for most people that will pass Um, I like to do my meditation in the morning just because one, it means it it actually happens. The day doesn't run away with me to the point where I don't find time for it. Um, Two, I find it sets me up for the day. So it gives me a kind of real sense of of clarity and kind of steadiness that then I can apply to everything else throughout my day. Um, But three, yeah, I find in the evenings I am kind of more tired. I have less energy. So doing it in the morning for me means that, yes, I do stay awake, which is obviously um, a definite pro of practicing <laughs> um, but different things work for different people so I would say you know try and find a routine or a time that works for you so it might be that mornings just aren't your thing or you feel particularly sleepy in the morning so that wouldn't work for you so then try it in the evenings or even at lunchtime if you can find a space but I think definitely a trial and error approach is the best there. Now I was talking to a friend the other day about doing mindfulness exercises and I said that I'd actually done it with a client in, in the lunch break I mm. said I'm just going to go off into uh, the other room and I, and I did it and I felt a bit weird I, I'll be yeah. perfectly honest and he said there's no way I could do that in my company they'd all think I was skiving was the exact words mm. and it made me think about a survey and I think it was in the independent maybe about a year ago now and it was talking about the people are prepared to uh, talk about mental health issues far more readily than they were maybe four mm. or five years ago but they are there's still a concern probably for, I think 39% of people in this survey over 2,000 people saying I would be reluctant to say I have a mental health concern or even I've just got a symptom I don't know yet I, I'm not really sure yeah. so I, I know we know that's a problem I suppose my question is, what symptoms would you say I might need to look out for? Mm. Uh, and this might be a company thinking, well, what do we do organisationally yeah. for our people? Or it could be I'm a multi-unit manager, I'm sitting in my car listening to this going, actually, yeah, maybe I'm suffering from lack of sleep yeah, or absolutely. whatever symptoms you, you might give us a clue on. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, one thing to point out before I, I go into that is that some people um, suffer from mental illness and show no symptoms at all. They work mm. very hard to, to hide any symptoms or to hide their illness so it may be that someone's suffering but doesn't display any symptoms and that's something to bear in mind but there are um, some physical and behavioral symptoms that we can look out for in others that might help us kind of distinguish whether they might be suffering or at risk of um, suffering from mental illness so physically and some of the problem is that these cross over with many other physical illnesses as well so it can be hard to tell Um, but physically it can be things like uh, frequent headaches frequent coughs and colds so um often mental illness can have a big effect on the immune system so if people are constantly coming down with kind of minor illnesses like coughs and colds or the flu and um, that could be a sign and a, a real change um in weight as well so many people either lose weight or gain weight when they might be suffering from um, mental illness 
sometimes a dishevelled appearance. So um, often um, with certain mental illnesses, people uh, lose, um, they don't uh, take as much care of their appearance. Um, tired, so insomnia we know is, is linked to mental illness as well. So looking um, for people who might be sleep deprived or very tired all the time, uh, lacking in energy is certainly a symptom. And then behaviour, things like um, being very irritable, um, quite can be quite extreme behaviour as well, or mood swings. Um, so people who might be, um, for example, drinking more than usual, smoking more than usual, um, taking recreational drugs could all be signs and symptoms. Uh, people who are over-emotional, so people having emotional responses to things that they might not usually affect them are certainly a sign. So what we're looking for really is a change in behaviour. So obviously somebody might just be irritable that's part of their nature that doesn't mm. mean they have a mental illness but if you're noticing change in behavior with some of these symptoms then it could be a sign and also in people's work things like you know showing up late for a person that's usually mm. punctual for example and um, taking kind of more sick days than usual um perhaps being disengaged or unenthusiastic about the work performance um, goes down yeah. exactly effect on performance definitely so thinking about you know if you're noticing um some of these signs or symptoms in someone or even yourself as well you know it's important we're aware of that that perhaps having a conversation mm. or, or trying to get further support i listened recently to a podcast uh, which i really recommend people to michael hyatt at lead to win and there was an episode about the cost of overwork mm. and uh one of the speakers made this excellent point that you talk about alcoholism for the sake of argument. You know, yeah. Someone's not addicted to alcohol because they're a wine connoisseur or they're sure. like gin. It, there's something else going on that, and they, they crave the need of that, but there's something else that's driving it. And the point they were making was this kind of workaholic piece, mm. workaholism effectively, actually being and, and becoming, doing more and more hours is actually potentially a sign of mental health, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. So overworking can definitely be a sign of a mental health illness as well. Um, yeah, we've seen that that happen plenty of times. And I think in some work environments where it is expected that people work as many hours as possible to get the job done, that can be really damaging. Um, you've got that idea of presenteeism, of kind of showing up even if you're not um, you're not well or you're not feeling yourself. Um, that can be really damaging. But mm. it is, it doesn't, you know, we have a capacity, our brains and our minds have a capacity for how much we can work. So mm. when we get to the point, we've all been there when we're, we're kind of p- pushing through at the end of the day, you know, working more hours, we can feel that we're tired and we're making mistakes and we're not getting good quality work done, but we're pushing through because we're stressed and we know we've got a huge workload. And mm. um, that can be really damaging yeah. to us. But ultimately, the cost is if someone signed off work for stress oh. or depression mm. for six weeks or more, you're obviously losing um, a much bigger amount of time or hours from that person whereas if they maybe took took a short amount of time did a bit of self-care worked a few less hours it wouldn't get to that stage and that's really what we want to kind of the message we want to push is that you're taking time for self-care taking time to rest and recover and taking the time for yourself that you need will prevent you from needing uh, longer chunks of time off in the future i remember um Late 90s it was, my father retired, and I remember him saying to me, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm getting out of the work uh, world mm. now. He said, what I'm seeing is a desire for constantly more from less, yeah. um, more labour, sorry, less labour spent, but more cheap, that kind of mm. thing. How long can we go on like that? When's the tipping point? And, and, and I think we've begun to, we're beginning to see the signs of that, as you say, some of those mental health issues. You've laid out there, I think, some really good 
physical and behavioral mm. signs to kind of watch out for. Now, obviously, there's a caveat here, guys, and I always remember the episode of One Foot in the Grave when Victor Meldrew is reading this medical dictionary and no symptoms at first. Oh, that's exactly what I've got. <laughs> and he becomes obsessed. Now, yeah. if, you, if you're listening to this and you're a multi-unit manager and you think, actually, yeah, I'm concerned. I feel I am showing mm. some of those signs. What should I do? So um, what I would do is recommend that you get more support. If you're showing some of those signs and symptoms and you find that your daily life is affected by that. Mm. So what we need really is more education around mental health because I think what people also aren't sure about is have I got a mental illness and am I on the way to that? Um, I would always recommend as a first port of call of uh, seeing your GP. Um, Now, I'm not saying that the NHS or GPs always deal with this in the most effective way, but they can offer a diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. even if, for example, you don't want to go on medication, that's perfectly understandable. uh, That's usually the first port of call what's um, prescribed by our GPs. I would recommend going to get a diagnosis and have a talk about your options. Um, The second thing I'd recommend is looking at what kind of practical supports and self-care you can introduce into Mm -hmm. your life. Um, and it depends how severe the problem is. So if you're finding um, things are really bad and you can't get out of bed in the morning, you're struggling to perform even simple tasks, at that point, I think professional care is necessary. So that's mm. you know, seeing your GP, perhaps looking into medication and then perhaps talking therapy. So cognitive okay. behavioural therapy is very effective, psychotherapy as well. Um, but if you're at the stage where you, you're noticing some of these symptoms, you're still functioning um, you're still able to carry out your work, but it is affecting your, your life, your relationships. Mm. I would say look at what practical supports you can do. So you know things like assessing sleep, um, nutrition, diet, mm. um, trying to do some gentle exercise as well. You know, yoga is amazing for mental health. Um, mindfulness has been uh, proved to be very effective as well. So trying that first, seeing if that improves things, and practical supports to try things like trying to improve um, your you know your physical environment. Mm. For example, if you've got a lot of financial strain or pressure trying to work with a professional to work through that as that could relieve some of the pressure but talking to people around you is really important you know talk to your partner talk to your friends talk to your manager if you feel they're appropriate Mm. talking about mental health issues firstly relieves a lot of the burden of kind of keeping it in but can also help others around you offer the right support um, which is really important because I think sometimes we feel reluctant to tell other people and we're kind of holding it all in Mm. and, and trying to cope and actually just by sharing that problem with someone else can first be a really great help for us but also can help them help us as well and I think you've, you've given loads of practical examples today you can go right back to the part of the conversation when we started about email and tea notifications mm. of all of these little maybe small slivers but they can all help they can yeah all absolutely add up. you've given some really good advice there for someone on their own but uh, you know self-diagnosing in some mm. respects I think what could I do what about if I'm organisationally here thinking mm. I, I, I like what I'm hearing from Mel and actually organisationally we should do something if they were to come to someone like Luminate how would you help them yeah definitely so one thing we're doing quite a lot of at the moment is mental health awareness training for managers uh, which takes place usually as a full day and sometimes as a half and we teach them um all of these things, so how to look out for the signs and symptoms of mental ill health in somebody, mm-hmm. how to make the right approaches, how to have the right conversations around mental health, 
you know, what's required as well um, from you as an employer to do when someone might be mentally ill. So that's also things like workplace adjustments, you know, making reasonable adjustments so somebody can still carry out their work where possible, even if they have a mental illness. Um, how to keep in touch with them when they might be off work from mental illness, how to display empathy and listen in the right way, which all sound like simple skills, but things that for the most part we just haven't been trained in. It hasn't been something we've spoken about for a long time. Um, so now this training is hopefully getting people um, up to speed. And then we workshop some issues they may have had in the past and how perhaps they could have dealt with that in a more effective way or what our advice would be in that situation. So it's really trying to, as a starting point, giving managers the right skills to be able to support people in the workplace who might be mentally unwell in any way. This isn't a set up question at all, ladies and gentlemen, I promise, but I'm going to guess that when you do some of these workshops, you get real engagement from the managers because so many of them are probably dealing with some of these challenges themselves or with their members of their team that they go, you know, thank God someone's... Kind of taking it seriously or, or they know what I'm talking about or there's, there's, there's help available yeah absolutely I think a lot of managers felt very in the dark or a bit lost when dealing with these yeah. issues you know they get training on so many different things but this is an issue that's affecting so many of us now in the workplace that you know if you haven't had the tools to deal with it you don't know how to make the right approach or how to have that conversation or even the right terminology to use so yeah we've had um, amazingly positive feedback which is great and real engagement like you said from managers who really want to do the right thing and want to help and we always explain to them it's not always about having all the right answers you know sometimes we will make mistakes or you know slip up but if the right intention is there you know we want to offer support mm -hmm. that's the main thing and most managers really do they just need the tools to be able to do that and that's something that we you know, hope we can help with Marvellous. Mel, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm sure if it's okay, we'd like to put details of Lumen at the website uh, in our show notes so uh, our friends and listeners can click on to that. Also, we'll put Mel's LinkedIn details as well so you can contact directly, message Mel uh, directly. Um, and any final thoughts, but I do have one last question for you, but any final thoughts that you'd like to sum up with? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, it's not really about reinventing the wheel when it comes to kind of looking after ourselves or that self-care aspect. You know, simple things and simple small changes can make a really big difference. So mm. making small improvements in our diet, you know, just trying to add 15, 20 minutes more movement into our days, trying to turn off our screens even half an hour before bed. All of those small changes can really make a difference. And I'd say make sure it's realistic for you as well, because otherwise it won't happen. You know, trying to overhaul your whole life in a week is not going to be effective. <laughs> so just making those small changes and really sticking at them. And, you know, if you feel like you failed, just try and try again. Um, and those really do make a big difference when it comes to both our mental and physical health. I know I'm going to be thinking of you when I'm in the same queue and I get my mobile phone out of my pocket. I know I am. So my last question, it doesn't have to be about our context of our topic, but I always say one day time travel is going to be possible. Imagine you could go back and talk to the younger male. What one piece of advice would you give to the younger male? I'll just say talk to people you know when I was suffering from mental illness it was something you know at that time um, you know we're going back kind of seven eight years now I really didn't feel like I could talk to my friends about what I was going through um, and I think there's been you know there's been so much stigma for a long time the only way really to remove that is to kind of be brave and talk about what we're going through and normalizing it you know when one in, one in four of us are suffering from mental illness as the statistics show you know it's very very common but still we don't feel we can talk mm. to others around us so I would say you know be open talk to people around it and, and let them support you when you need it 
um, I think is, is one of the key things I would say to my younger self. That's great advice. And I, again, go right back to the beginning of my personal experience of the anxiety tactic. I did do that. And, mm. and I found, I think it's anxiety.org.uk. I'll, yeah. I'll double check that and put that on the links too. But that was a great mm. site. And when I read through uh, the symptoms and what it was like to have mm. a stress and a panic attack I was like oh my god that's what happened to me yeah. and it, it actually relieved me because I think I'm okay. not actually having a heart attack and yes I did get an ECG done and everything was fine and all of that mm. but it really did give me a, a peace of mind so Definitely. whether it's websites it's the NHS the GP whatever yeah. but talk to people Absolutely, and, and another resource, Mind, the charity, oh, offer of great um, support services. So they offer a lot of kind of support groups that you can turn up to as well um, that are kind of held by a trained counsellor and offer really supportive environments. And they operate around the country um, too, so do look into that if you Fantastic. feel that, that we'll, might be helpful for we'll you. We'll put that website in our Mind and Anxiety both into the show notes. Great. Thank you, Mel. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Take care. So thanks again, Mel, for a great episode. And I think one of the most powerful episodes we've done uh, from two perspectives, I guess. Firstly, as an individual, I think there's been some really great top tips I certainly picked up from listening to Mel and listening back to this conversation. Uh, Everything from thinking about how we use our email, uh, having time set aside for it, uh, the idea of not taking kind of our uh, laptops, uh, our tablets, our smartphones kind of to the bed with us so that we can able to really uh, get ready for sleep, not for work. Uh, the, the top tips around being on the road, swapping out one of our meals a day for a healthier options, uh, you know, adding fruit and veg, etc. And also truly understanding what mindfulness is and isn't. I think I certainly had a misunderstanding about what it actually was. Some fantastic um, pointers as well in terms of some of the symptoms that anyone displaying uh, may, who may have mental health issues might be displaying. Now, of course, we're not doctors and we absolutely would always recommend that you seek professional support if you've got any concerns whether that be through the NHS or GP or of course the organisations that we uh, spoke about Mind and Anxiety UK both of which you'll find the website details on the show notes for this episode so thank you again Mel for her time today again you'll find Mel's details in the show notes uh, her website and her LinkedIn profile details will be there thanks as ever to our producer Sam Walsh for putting together today's episode and I look forward to speaking to you again in the near future for another episode of the Multi-Site Masters.